And in chapter 9, I want to begin uh, in this uh, section over here. Uh, at the end of, of this was after uh, Jesus heals this guy born blind. Okay? We're going to start looking at uh, uh, verse 10 here at John chapter 9 verse 10. But under this uh, 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 section, last week we looked at how this occurred and what was going on. And this week I want to look at this idea of what happened to this guy. Not only did he get his sight, but something else is fascinating to me as I worked through this this week and studied it some. And I want to look at it under this topic here, under the conversation with Jesus, is the formation of faith. The formation of faith. Now, uh, I, we're going to look at that here in a minute, but I just want to ask you to think about this, about the formation of things. Uh, you know, this is the first of the year, and a lot of people are uh, determining uh, to do a lot of different things. The formation of some new habits. Uh, going to lose some weight. Going to start exercising till Valentine's Day. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much the, uh And when you think about forming a habit or, or the formation of a life, uh, and, and I'm, I'm thinking particularly in the area of faith, I think we tend to think too cataclysmically. We, we tend to think that faith either happened to you or didn't. That, that we tend to think of faith more in terms of an event instead of a process. And I want to look at this because I think there's some things here that would help us and be instructive to us about, about faith, about, about this idea of how things are, are, are formed over time. I, I was thinking back when I was thinking about this. In 1982, uh, when Becky and I had just been married a few years, I had gotten to the point that I weighed 215 pounds. Um, I was in shape because I consider round to be a shape. <laughs> okay, it is a shape. Okay, let's settle that. Round, it's a shape. Okay, and uh, that's back when Becky was cooking. And uh, <laughs> wait a minute, y'all are just assuming bad things here. Who are these people? No. And 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 she was doing a great job, and I was eating it. That may tell you why I asked her uh, thirty-two years to stop cooking. You know, uh, and 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 uh, I got it to about two hundred fifteen pounds, and. Uh, uh, I remember saying to Becky one day, and she weighs, okay, <clears throat> a lot less than me. <clears throat> at one point, though, at that point, she weighed 107 pounds, and I weighed 215. I was built for the wind. I looked like a fire plug. And I would say to her, do you think I'm gaining a little weight? Oh, no, dear, you look just fine. Becky's a pretty unreliable source. <laughs> My old roommate Peter Dedean saw what was happening, and Pete was an ex-Marine and an exerciser and a guy that I knew. And I lived with him for years, but I never got the habit. Pete would get up every morning and run four miles at 5 o'clock in the morning. He would every day do 350 sit-ups. He was in his 40s. I saw him one time do 1,500 sit-ups in 56 minutes. I lived with him in the dorm. It, I, it never took. <laughs> you know, it just, we were good friends. I liked him. Pete's a great guy, still, still a great guy. Pete has already done over a million setups. He keeps a record. He's like me, a little compulsive, you know. Uh, never, never caught, but he saw what was going on, and he bought me a, a running outfit, a suit. Remember those running suits that people used to think were cool? <laughs> you know, those velour ones that <laughs> made you look like you should be in jail? <laughs> Well, Pete bought me one and then kind of embroidered. He's a big guy. I mean, you wouldn't laugh at him. He embroidered my name on there. I said, thank you. You know, got 6'1", 
ex-Marine point guy. Uh, anyway, so Pete was trying to encourage me. It didn't really take. I remember years ago, it, it is all going on, that Linda Bolmark, y'all know Wayne who's on staff here. Wayne and Linda and I have known each other for about 37, 38 years, and we're still friends, and, uh, which is a testament to them, not to me. Uh, we were at church one, uh, af, we, we were af, at one night after church. Remember those days when you used to have church at night? Yeah, I'm not, I'm happy. <laughs> uh, that we were having some pizza after church. What good Christian people do after religious experiences, eat. And, uh, you know, that completes it. And I remember Linda uh, uh, saying to me, you another another piece of pizza? And I said this, I'm going on a diet. And she looked at me and said, you're not going on a diet. And she made me mad. And I said, yes, I am. And she goes, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. Becky got in the middle of it, broke it up before it got ugly <laughs> over pizza. And I remember I, the next morning I got it was Jan July the 1st, 1984. I remember the day, my dad's birthday. And I remember getting up that day and thinking, how am I going to do this? <laughs> how am I going to start exercising and forming this habit? Because my old coach had said to me, anybody can run a mile. Can I tell you something? That's not true. <laughs> it isn't. It is not true. I, I weighed 215 pounds. I remember putting all those blue Puma running shoes that the minute I stepped in them, they went down to the ground. I decided that I would run. And I took out from the house, and I thought, well, I'll run a mile. Because my coach said anybody can run a mile. At about, three, at about a half a mile, I thought my lungs were going to spontaneously combust. They were on fire. Something was happening in here that I was unaware of. I mean, I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. And I remember saying to myself, I can't do this. I can't do this. But then I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I could do this. Maybe I could run a half a mile for a while. Maybe I could just do a half a mile. See, what I was trying to do was form a habit. Instead of deciding I'm going to run a mile. You ever, you ever done that? Done too much and the next morning you get up and you can't touch your nose? You know, you lift weights and the next morning. I said to Becky one time, I lifted so hard. I said, can you scratch my nose for me? <laughs> Couldn't touch it. Did too much. You went too far. So I decided I'd, I'd do a little this time. And I'd do a little the next time. And I began to form a habit that after a while, I began to run a half a mile. And then it got comfortable. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I can go a little further. And it got comfortable and the formation of that habit that I had never been able to do. I had a great roommate that tried to get me to do it. I realized I was way out of whack in my health, wouldn't do it. But the formation of a habit slowly over time and helping me to get more of it and start began to step. I'll just tell you this. I, I, I'm bragging, I guess. Uh, that's what it is. I, I tell back the other day, I did the numbers on this. In 32 and a half years or 1,688 months, I have missed 11 weeks of exercising. I feel pretty good about that. How did that happen? Did I just decide, I'm never missing again? No, let me tell you something. It started when I ran a half a mile, when I couldn't do any more than that. When I understood that if I tried to do too much, too fast, too quick, it would destroy me. I want to ask you to consider something. In our formation of faith, is it some cataclysmic event that one day we just have faith? Is it just that someday we come to the end of this discussion or I don't have any more questions or is it a process that forms us over time? I want to ask you to consider this as we look at John chapter 9. 
After this man had been healed of this blindness, it says, Therefore, verse 8, the neighbors who had previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man, maybe underline that word, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. I mean, think about it. That's a little comical. He's blind. He leaves. Now he can see. Where is he? I, I don't know. I want you to look at some terms here of this man that he uses in the formation of faith. The first thing is that, Jesus, that this man sees Jesus as a man. I'm going to take us forward. In, but he sees him as a man. He said, the man, Jesus, told me to do this. I think there's in this story there's something fairly unremarkable. Uh, unremarkable. There, here's a guy who's a beggar who is, if you will, outside the temple begging where it would be obvious that beggars would go. That's where it, they showed up. And here's a guy that for whatever reason uh, uh, has been sitting there since birth or at some point where he could begin to beg and, and make a living. And Jesus sees him and does something there, and as he does it, he's re uh, this guy's reporting back this man. It, it, you know, let, me, let me ask you to think about this. This is where I think faith starts. This is where it begins in the formation. This man, Jesus. Now, you know what? A psychologist tell us that we see people in three different ways. We either see them as scenery. You know, they're, they're, they're there, just kind of there. I had a friend of mine one time, we were downtown doing some ministry, downtown Houston. And in downtown Houston, the scenery is street people, uh, business people coming out of the hill, and some preacher yelling on the street corner. <laughs> That's what Houston was back in that day. That was kind of the scenery. We see people as scenery. We, we just, they're just there. I mean, you, you drive by them, you don't notice them. They're just there. We see people as machinery. We see people as machinery. The person that... Uh, cleans off our table at the restaurant or the person at the dry cleaners. Do you know their name? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? I asked a guy one time, he's cleaning off our table. I said, what's your name? He looked at me like, what? You know, like he was surprised. I thought, what, what's your name? He said his name and I said, thank you for uh, cleaning off our table. Now, I'm not some great person. I did that for this uh, teaching. So, no. <laughs> not really. Not really. Not really. But, we get into that, don't we, that people are seen or, or they're machinery. Uh, we, we, we look at the person at the convenience store. We never, we never, who, what's their, we, I don't know what their name is. Or the dry cleaners or the person cleaning our table. And, and, and in this idea of seeing Jesus as a man, first of all, that's how he sees him. There, there, there is this, this, this understanding that Jesus is, isn't interesting. There are lots of other men around there that hadn't shown any interest. There were lots of other people who had been, if you will, in that temple area, but, but never showed any interest. This blind man sees Jesus, first of all, as a man. Now, let me ask you to think about this. When we think about Jesus now, can we begin at the point of saying, He's a man? 
Now, I know that, that you're, you said, man, I got it for that <laughs> from Sunday school. But, but I, want to, I want to press this a little bit here. I think that sometimes we get so religious in our understanding of Jesus that we fail to remember he's a man. He's a man who lived and breathed and experienced life, if you will. Now, here's the hard part for us to do. Just like I and you do. That this guy understands that Jesus is a man. He's a person here. He's, he's just like anybody else in this regard. People just think of him as scenery. He's just one of the religious rabbis. But the blind man saw Jesus and just said, Well, I understand to be a human being who cared about me. He was interested. He was concerned. And we fail to realize that Jesus really experienced life like we did. What is it that caused Jesus to reach to this guy? What is it caused Jesus as the man to respond to him? Because apparently, in my judgment, Jesus understood his suffering. Jesus understood his humanity. I, I've had this experience, and maybe you have too, that sometimes Christians or church people, or whatever you want to call them, sometimes fail to recognize that we share a common humanity with people. It's not us and them. It's us. Jesus is a man. He, he has experienced life. Like, when I hear this, I just think that maybe, maybe this won't make sense to you, but it did to me. I remember growing up in 1968 in Texas and remembering uh, this sign. I remember seeing this as a kid. It's blazed on my mind. Blazed on my mind. This is 1968 in Memphis at the sanitation workers' strike. That here is a group of people, sanitation workers and people, that have been treated like scenery. They've been treated like machinery. Uh, the story is that Echol Cole and Robert Walker were crushed in a garbage truck on February the 1st because the city forbid black employees to seek shelter from the rain while they were at work. So the only place they could go was in the compressor part of the trash uh, truck and that tr compressor had a malfunction and it killed them. Well, just two other guys, you know, just line up some more people. This idea of seeing Jesus as a man might help us to look and see other people as human beings. You know, Jesus, we're going to get to his divinity here in a minute, but, but I think that sometimes if we're not careful that, that we just see Jesus in these divine ways. And I want to suggest that there are people, let me just say it this way, there are people in your world and in my world that our conversation could begin with them. If, I know, now, this is where I'll get in trouble, okay? If our conversation would begin with them, not Jesus as divine, but Jesus as human. As a human being, he understands you. He knows what's going on in life. He gets it. You know, there's no other religion in the world that says that their God became a human being. I think we've surrendered this. I think we've tried to go for the goal and try to go all the way to the end to bring him, if you will, to just some idea of Jesus as divine and never been willing to embrace the notion that Jesus is a man. Is that okay with you to, to, to say that? That he's a real, live human being and that our faith begins, if you will, by understanding that he fully identified with everything about us in our humanity. Can I tell you something? You know this, I'm sure. But in John 135, uh, we already looked at, but the woman at the well, you know what she said to those townspeople? Come see a man 
who told me everything I've done. Come see a man. In John 4, 28 to 29, the statement is, Come see a man who told me and, 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 and shared with me and, and healed me and made me be able to see. I'm concerned about this. I'll just tell you from my standpoint that I think as followers of Jesus, sometimes we don't find some common ground with people that Jesus was a man, if you will, stay with me here, that lots of people would be willing to talk about if we could start there. Were you with me? Can you talk to people of Jesus other than the Son of God, other than the Savior of the world? Could you talk to Him or talk about Him with others as a man who really experienced life, who really feels what you feel, who really understands what you and I understand? Could, could we talk about Him like that? I've told you about uh, my friend Carl Madiris, uh, who works, I mean, uh, he, he works in the Middle East and works with people. And Carl has found this, and I, and I found some of it true as well. There are a lot of people that are willing to talk about Jesus as a great person. Now, I, I, know, I know what C.S. Lewis said. I, I understand, but I'm, I'm, and this would be a crazy thing for me to say. But I think we need to at least be willing to suggest that if we think the only conversations we can have with people about the faith in Jesus has to start at Son of God, you're not going to have very many conversations. If that's where we start, Son of God, Savior of the world, came to save everybody, you're not going to have any conversations. There are, however, a good number of people who seem to be interested, seem to be amazed, if you will, somewhat, with Jesus. Carl tells the story in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, they set up a, a movie set and they interviewed people coming out of a mall and uh, asked people one question. Asked 50 people, just random. Hey, what do you think of Christianity? You know what the results were? 49 out of 50 had something terribly negative to say. 49 out of 50 said, nah, not, not interested, don't want anything to do with it. They broke down the set. They came back three hours later Sat it up or set it up again and said, Here's the question. What do you think about Jesus? Now, these are not believers, and Boulder, Colorado has a pretty good reputation as being a pretty liberal place, right? Every person asked said this Oh, Jesus, He is unbelievable. He's amazing. Do you know that people that aren't followers of Jesus think that? As a man, as a person. They see him as concerned for the poor. They see him as constantly opposing the powers that be. They see him as the one to try to liberate the oppressed. You know what? Can't we talk about that together with them? Can't we discuss those things instead of going for the throat at the very end? I want to suggest to you that some of us will not have very many conversations with other people and faith will never begin to build in people's lives until we're willing just to say, you know what, this is the God-man and just start with man. I want to ask you to consider something here. This is the word I want you to have. Here's the word I want you to write down. Here's the word I want you to write down. Belong. Belong. B-E-L-O-N-G. Belong. Can we let people belong? Can we let people be a part if they begin at the starting point, Jesus is a man. He's real. 
He experienced what you experienced. He knows what I know, or more than that. But he is a man. He's can we begin there and let people belong at that point? Let me let me tell. You, I've said this before. Let me let me explain to you. I grew up in a church. Maybe you did too. That said, you have to believe the right things, and you have to behave the right way before you can belong. Anybody go to that church? Anybody go to that church? You have to believe the right things. You have to behave the right way. And then you get to belong. I want to flip that and say this. Let's find some common ground with people that say that Jesus as a man will agree on that and you can belong. You can be a part. We're not going to set up some barrier here. You can be a part. I know, now that's, that's, that, that's a little tricky, isn't it? Little danger. Oh, who are who are we gonna let in? You. <laughs> That's who we're gonna let in. You and me and others. But this idea of Jesus as a man, do you know people study him who aren't followers? You know people study him and don't believe he's God? Is it possible that faith could begin if people just began to study him as a man? What do you think about that? On the divine. That's right. We just He's saying if we just focus on the divine, we fail to help people really connect or to really understand. I know this is a little uncomfortable. I, I, I know that sometimes we feel like that if we're just going to talk about Jesus as a man. But I have this conviction. I have this belief. I believe that faith begins small. I believe that faith begins as people begin to think about Jesus as a person, as a real person, as a person that lived in this world and experienced, Mike, what you're saying, all that we did. We're not going to, hopefully not in there, but could we begin there? Could we begin to talk about that? I know this, if you want to talk to other people of other faiths and other religions, Jesus is the subject. Not your church, not your denomination, not your baptismal formulation, not the way you became a member, but to talk about Jesus as the man. So here's the question I want to ask you. What if this week you had one conversation with a friend or coworker, etc., and it suggested that you both consider Jesus as a man in whom you're interested about his life? Could you have that conversation? Could you stop it there and say, I want to talk about this Jesus. We're just going to look at his life. We're not going to say, okay, now you've got to do this and do that. Let's just look at him. Let's just look at him. Now, guys, I, I just want to suggest this. We're living in an increasingly polarized world. And if we keep going for the throat on this thing, we're going to have fewer and fewer opportunities to have conversations with people that may not be at the consistent formation of faith, but are at the beginning point. You got it, right? See, like my coach said, anybody can run a mile. I couldn't. I couldn't run a mile. I would have been dead. I would have been dead or close to it. Uh, but the idea was I had to start somewhere. I had to begin at some point. Can we talk about Jesus as a man, as a person who really lived and experienced all that we did. I, it's hard to do. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I told you several years ago at the National Prayer Breakfast, this is what began to wreck me. When I began to talk to Muslims and Hindus and non-Christians and agnostics. Do you know atheists have interest in Jesus sometimes? They're interested in the kind of life they live. How did he do that? Why did he do this? It's, it's fascinating to, to be able to begin that conversation there. Now, I want you to watch this. Here we go. Second. I'm going to jump through here now. Some... 
So they brought this guy to the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees were asking him how he received his sight, and he tells the story. Verse 17, So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. Look at there. Look, look at the progression here. He's a prophet. Now, think about that. The guy has said, the man, I, be, I believe he's a man. He's a real human being. But when they press him, they say, well, who do you think he is? Well, I think he made me see. He, he, he did a miracle here. He must be a prophet. Think about that. The word prophet here, this idea, uh, the word prophet is navi or navi, and it means this, a speaker from God. Someone who is a mouthpiece of God. This guy somehow in this formation of his faith begins to move now, not just from seeing Jesus as a man, though he starts there. He is moving now to say, well, well, who do you think he is? Well, I think he's a prophet. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it? Here's, here's what's interesting to me. The word prophet, a seer, a spokesman from God. The prophets were God's voice, peace, to call people to follow him. You know, even in Israel, you can see this, how that uh, uh, Judaism begins as this uh, walk and, and living for God, and it sort of turns into a business, you know? Now it's a business. Now, now we're, we're talking about that this, this thing's got to keep going. I've done some consulting with churches before, a few, and they'd say to me, you know, we, we need to change this and do this or our church will, will no longer be in existence. And I go, well, why should you? And they go, what? Why should you be in existence? Well, well, if we don't have a church here, we won't have anywhere to go. <laughs> That's not a good enough reason. Does a church exist for us so we can have a place to go? Or does the church exist so that we can provide the ministry of Jesus to people? You know, their churches get real excited and worked up and worried when things begin to go bad. You know, like, okay, we got to raise some money. Why? Because if we don't, we're going to go out of business. Well, so, okay, why is that important? See, the church can become business, can it? See, the prophets always came to call the people back to God, to not get lost in the rigmarole of religion. That's why the prophets were all killed. <laughs> I tell my students all the time, you need to be a leader and prophetic, but don't be too much. Because <laughs> you won't be around long. People don't like prophets. This guy says, this guy's a prophet. He's a spokesman from God. He's, a, he's one that can, can do the acts of God. Isn't it interesting? Here's what I was saying. Jesus was never accused of being a priest. Just let that settle in. Jesus was never accused of being a priest. I would translate that a company man. He was never a company man. He was never to just keep things running right along and make things go better. Jesus was this constant presence of calling people to follow God, to, to, to be willing to hear the word of God from Him even when people maybe, maybe uh, didn't want to hear it so much. Maybe didn't want to hear it so much. He was a prophet for people. He was the one who told people what God's will was. He was one who could bring God's power and might to bear on a circumstance. You know, it's interesting that, that we, 
that we, we, we tend to think of Jesus in lots of ways, but do we think of one who is calling us, calling this man, back to God? Reminding us, because we're company people, right? I'm a company guy. I told my table I had an experience this week at school. I, you know, I teach and have lots of students, and my job is to stamp out ignorance. And, uh, you know, that's, that's my job. That's all I'm working on. And uh, this week I was thinking about a couple of students that were, you know, I, I thought, okay, we, we need to get this thing, we need to get this ship righted early before the semester gets going along. And I was uh, uh, thinking about it and considering it, and I just thought, uh, and I'm a company guy. You know, I wanted to go to class and do their work. And uh, I, I was thinking in my mind as I was walking back to the office, I said, you know, all these kids care about is athletics. That's all they care about. I love what Bob said. Bob went to OU and said his English professor said, you know, we need to have a college that the football team can be proud of. <laughs> That'll get back there here in a minute. <clears throat> yeah. And, and I'm walking back there and I'm thinking, you know, all, all these kids think about is, is athletics. They never think about their class. And then <laughs> this is that prophetic ministry of Jesus. He said to me, and all you care about is the classroom. And I said, and who said that? <laughs> yeah, Cliff, all you think college is, is the classroom. And it's not. It's about friendships. It's about sports. It's about having fun together. It's about learning how to live together. See, see that prophetic element gets a hold of company guys like me. That, that prophetic element that says, be careful, Cliff, be careful, Cliff, be careful, Cliff. You're on the inside and you're looking at people that you think are what? Outside. That's always where the prophetic ministry of Jesus comes. See, this guy's an outsider. He's blind. He can't see. He's not good enough. And Jesus heals him and makes him part of the inside. Who is he? He's a prophet. He's a prophet. Now, I know this may make us nervous, but often in our understanding of Jesus, do we move from a man that we can study and look at and be interested in and let people begin there, and then can we move to where Jesus is a prophet, where he tells us about God, where he declares to us, where he gets involved in our lives? Now, I know this may be tense for you, but you know, uh, in my experience uh, over the years, one of the things that I've been able to do and to talk with Muslims is because they accept Jesus as a prophet. Do they accept Him like I do? No. But do they accept Him as a prophet? I told someone I may get in trouble today. <laughs> you know, the formation of faith has these different stages where if we might be like this man to say, he's a prophet. He must be from God. Where is it? And our, our world is so fractured, it's on fire. Where is it that we as people of the book, that's what Muslims call us, people of the book, can find common ground to say, can we talk about this guy named Jesus? 
Now, you know, here, here, here's, where I, here's where the tension is for me. I know what's going on in the world. I get it. But I've talked to Muslim people who would be quick to say, that's not Islam. What's happening? There's a, there's a whole thing going on here. And I, I don't have time to unpack all that. And I don't have the skill to. But could you talk to another person and just say, Jesus is a prophet. Let's, let's accept that. That's the movement in faith. The, the movement of understanding. Could we find some common ground with people instead of arguing about our differences? Let's, let's at least go there. Let's at least say he's a prophet. We can discuss. We can, we, can, we can accept that. We can agree on that point. If we don't, I think our world's going to burn to the ground. If Christians can't get in conversation with other people in this formation of faith to begin the process, can we understand that this will mean that there may be a movement from seeing Jesus as a man to seeing Jesus as a prophet. We're still not there yet. We're still moving in our faith. But to be able to suggest this is a point of contact with other people. Can we accept Jesus as a prophet? Stake it out. Help other people and keep moving. The second word I want you to have here on this one is believe. First one is Jesus is a man. Belong. The second one is can we believe? Can we help people to come to the point of believe? Believe that Jesus is a prophet. We can speak to one another without yelling and screaming and hollering. We can have empathy for one another and be willing to say, my, you know, my God can beat your God up. No, that, that's not going to get us anywhere. You know, my religion is better than yours. I, I, look, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. I want to be clear. This may be the last week we see each other. <laughs> But I am troubled and concerned that Christian and followers of Jesus can't find these connections in this formation of faith. You didn't come to your faith and I didn't come to all my faith like that. It took time. Why don't we extend that to people? Why aren't we willing to say, look, you may not understand Him the way I do. And I may not understand the way that you do. But let's keep talking about Jesus. I told you about my friend Samir. I mean, he's not my buddy, but we know, you know. Met in Washington, D.C. Came to the National Prayer Breakfast, lives in Lebanon. And by the way, I, he doesn't know this. I, he's a big boy. He could hurt me, but Mike Milligan and I are going to talk about this in a few weeks. Mike spent years in Lebanon working with Muslim people in ministries, had incredible ministry there, and he and I are going to talk about this, about this issue about the faith that we have and how do we, how do we work this out. Because if we don't, we're not going to be talking to anybody. We're going to be talking past each other. If we don't learn, how can we do some of this? So anyway, Samir comes to D.C. to the National Prayer Breakfast. And uh, a friend of ours who knows him said to Samir, I'd like for you to read the Gospels. And I, I wish you, you understood how uh, often people uh, want to read the, the book. They want to understand the book. And so Samir said he got on the plane and uh, uh, was flying back to Lebanon. And he didn't, he, he said, I did not want to read the book. You know, he'd been told, don't read the book. Don't read the book. And Samir said, you know, it's a long flight. And as he began to read, uh, as he began to read, he said he began to see who Jesus was. And he began to understand that Isa, who, who, who he understands from the Quran, 
There were some things about him he didn't know. There were some things about him as a prophet that, that he wasn't aware of. And Samir, in his own words, says that before he got back to Lebanon, he said this, he put his ears, he says, I did not want to believe in Jesus, but I can't help but believe in Jesus. Now, you know what? Our friends and Carl didn't say to him, now, you know what? If you don't believe he's the Son of God, you're going to go to hell. If you don't believe him like we do, what do you do? He said, if you just look at him and think about him, consider him and, and read about him, that, that you might come to this. Because look at this, and I'm jumping around here, or going through this. Notice here in verse 35, I want to give this last one. Oh, that was it. Oh, no, the, the last one. Seeing him as the son of man. Look here. Jesus heard that they had put him out. The Pharisees had put this guy out had been born blind. Put him out of the synagogue. He's now lost. And he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered and said to him, Lord, uh, uh, and he said to him, Lord, that I may believe in him. Who is he? And Jesus said, you've both seen him, and he's the one talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now look at that. From the process of believing as a man, to seeing him as a prophet, to now seeing him as the son of man. Now let me tell you, this phrase right here, son of man. When Jesus asked this guy, this is the, 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 the phrase or idea of the Messiah that comes out of, of Daniel 7 and 2 Esdras chapter 2 in the Apocrypha. This idea of the Son of Man is a messianic title. They're looking for this person. They're waiting to see. If you go back and read uh, Daniel 7, you'll see how this Son of Man is going to be the ruler of the universe. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, Lord, who is he? Who is he? Where is he? Is he here? We've been looking for him. He's the Messiah. He's the one to come to, to deliver uh, Israel. And he said, uh, he said, who is he? He said, he is, I am he, or you've seen him, and he's the one speaking to you. And he said to him, Lord, I believe. Do you see the progression here? Do you, do you see how this man moves through this? Now, this is pretty quick in a day, perhaps. Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Son of man. This is the term that is used of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This guy, in my judgment, progresses to that through a series of events to the point that now he will kneel down and worship. This is uh, dangerous. Two words here that are used. Lord and worshiped. I don't know if you know it or not. Maybe you do from history. There was one person at that time and day named Lord. His name was Caesar. <laughs> the early Christians took this term over, and many of them paid it with their life. That every person in the empire had to declare that Caesar is Lord. If they didn't, they were executed for treason. It's fascinating the way the Romans did this. When we see the word Lord, we see it, you know, it's Jesus' first name. Lord, Jesus, middle name, Christ, right? That's, a, that's his three names, Lord, Jesus, Christ. It's his first name, middle name, last name. This term here, when this guy says Lord, he has placed himself in the jeopardy of the Roman government for him to call anyone but Caesar as Lord. This is, this is the understory. This is, when we read it, it doesn't mean that to us because we don't understand the history of, of Rome. But Rome took this very seriously. 
The second thing, when he worshipped a man, he was in danger of being stoned by the Jews. This is what they called idolatry and blasphemy. Worshipping a man, worshipping a person, would be considered in Judaism blasphemy and a capital offense. This man, at this point, with dealing with Jesus, progressing, if you will, in this regard, he finally says, if you're him and what you've done and what you know about you, my Lord, I believe, and he worships him. That's where we want people to start, isn't it? That's where we want people to start. That's where we want to talk to people and say, well, you know, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And work. That's a great thing. But for many people in our culture and many people in our world, that's not where they're going to start. And my guess is that's not where you started. My guess is you started wondering, who is this guy, this man? Who is he? I've heard lots about him. Who is he? You progressed to understand, this guy knows something about God. He's a prophet. And then you finally came to the conclusion, he is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. I love this term, worshipped here, in verse 38. It's the Greek word proskuneo, which uh, worship means this, to kiss toward. Pros toward kuneo is the idea of kissing toward. Reverence, love. It, it, it's kind of a crazy image, but it comes right out of the ancient world that, that it really is the same term at times that when a dog licks its master's hand. You know, we got a little dog named Buddy, and, and he likes Becky lots more than me, and... Uh, I get that. Uh, but one day he's sitting in my lap and, and he'd been with me and Becky was gone somewhere and he just started licking my hand. I just looked at him, buddy. You know, what? he's recognizing me as his master. When, when this guy bows down and kisses toward, he recognizes Jesus in the fullness. Now this third word I want you to have on this one is Behave. He's now starting to behave. He understood him as a man. He belonged. He could belong. I can accept the fact he's a man. I can accept that. I'll go with that. Okay, let's go. He belonged. He came to the point where he called him a prophet. Where he said, I, I, I believe. I believe this guy's from God. I believe this, this man is someone special from God. He finally comes to the point of bowing down and calling Him Lord. And what's He doing? He's behaving. Folks, I want to ask you to consider this. That the formation of faith, like a habit, like exercise, like lots of these other things, goes through these formational stages. So I'm going to challenge you this week to think about this. Could you let people belong in your life that see Jesus no more than as a man? Can you do that? And leave it up to God. Leave it up to God. One of the foundational in Matthew, when Jesus says to Peter, who do men say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of... Jesus said to him, right? You are a smart guy. Somebody helped you figure that out. Right? You're brilliant. What did Jesus say? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven heaven. Maybe if you'd let people belong, maybe if I would let people belong, 
Maybe if I would just settle the issue, if you believe he's a man, that's great. We'll just see where that goes. That the Holy Spirit of God can move him to the next level. The Spirit of God begin to say, you not only have been, have been willing to belong, but you now believe, don't you? You have some beliefs about him. There, there's some... There's some understanding about him as more than a man. He's a prophet. He's from God. He speaks for God. He declares the truth about God. He works in our life like that. Maybe, maybe we could then people could start believing. And maybe as they believe and really believe that maybe at some point the Spirit of God, the, the power of God, can bring them to the point where they say, My Lord and my God. And they start behaving instead of flipping it. Instead of turning it around. And saying, if you're going to be around here, you've got to behave. You've got to believe before you can belong. It won't work. Not in our world. It's burning to the ground. And the followers of Jesus have always been that seed, have always been that leaven that got in there and became the kind of people that others knew, you've been with Jesus. You've been. Now, I know this is, this is a little disconcerting. I, I told Becky, I said, I probably should have taken this weekend off. <laughs> I know it's a little, it's pressing, but listen, I, I tell my students all the time, if we don't do things differently, we're not going to get any different response. If we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we got. And I'm going to just challenge us to let people belong. Maybe they'll believe. And someday they might behave. In fact, I would say it this way. If we let them belong, they might see enough about Jesus in us and others. They might actually Believe it. The fascinating thing is, then they might behave. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all of us have been through a process <clears throat> in this matter of faith. We started small. We started with very little. And people were patient with us. And you were patient with us. And you helped us move forward. I pray today that as we leave this place, that we might think of people we could have conversations with who would just accept that Jesus was a man. He actually existed. And to begin the journey there. There may be people in our lives who have believed that on your working in their life that we would be able to help them see you as a prophet. As the one who speaks for God and declares the truth about God. And then finally, Lord, there may be people we know that have come through all those and are now ready as we talk to them, as we share with them, that they're able to say, I believe you are the Son of Man. This messianic title, this truth that you're the Savior of the world. Jesus, help us to be as generous and as kind as you have been with us. Help us in our dealings with others to be willing to, to, to handle the stress, the strain that we don't think people are doing what we think they ought to do. That we should, as Bob Goff had said, I used to want to try to fix people. Now I just want to be with them. Lord, help us to quit trying to fix people and just be willing to be with them and allow your Holy Spirit to do something that we could never do where they might come to the awareness that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We depend on you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. See you next week.